You're listening to a Flower Pop production. Hello lovely people, how are you? Now before we get started, just to let you know, my latest novel, Do We Really Have to Do This, is now out in the world. It's a romance between Iris and Jack set in the lovely but fictitious Strawberry Village in Bristol. It's also a story of letting go to what we think our life should be and learning to love the place where we really are. So if you're feeling a little bit stuck or lost at the moment, I think this book could really help. And speaking of help, let me introduce you to today's guest, the wonderful Michal Oshman. You will fail. You will fail in life. We disappoint people. Unfortunately, we hurt people. We hurt ourselves. We, uh, we make mistakes. But if we're always worried about making these mistakes, how can we even live life? How, why would we ever get married? Because there's a chance we'll get divorced. A few years ago, if you'd met Michal, it would have been easy to think everything was perfect for her. She had it all. A huge job, head of global culture for TikTok, the mother of four beautiful children and a wonderful husband too. But inside, she was struggling with a terrible anxiety. She'd been in therapy for 15 years and going over the past, while informative, was just not helping this dreadful feeling. But then she began to study Jewish wisdoms and everything changed. Michal learned so much, she's written a book called What Would You Do If You Weren't Afraid? in the hope it will help others too. Michal is open, honest, kind and so generous with her thoughts. She tells us what it's really like to work in those big tech companies and how all the biggest leaders in the highest positions have just the same insecurities as us all. Her own wisdoms and stories have really helped me with my next chapter and now I hope they'll help you too. Hello and welcome to The Next Chapter by Ellie Barker. The idea behind this podcast is that as I start my next chapter from journalist to author, I speak with some incredible people who've already started their next chapters in the hope it might help you with your next chapter, or at the very least, you'll just enjoy the conversation. So here she is, Michal Oshman. Michal Oshman. Welcome to the next chapter. I have been listening to your fabulous book and I've been looking forward to this conversation. So thank you so much for joining me. It's my pleasure, Ellie, and it's great to be here with you. Yeah, okay. Well, we have a lot to discuss and I'm a little bit worried because you've got half term, I've got half term. (laughs) (laughs) There's a deadline, but look, we're going to do our best because it's just wonderful. So we start as ever with the prologue. Now you grew up in Israel and you, uh, your dad was a pathologist. So it was quite an unusual sort of, I say an unusual profession, but it wasn't because it was something that you were very used to. And you, um, you grew up and I think you were sort of quite studious at school and you, you loved to learn. Yes. Yes. Well, my father held quite a known position in Israel for many, many years. I think it was a good few decades as the... Um, chief coroner, forensic pathologist of, of Israel, um, during a time, um, Israel doesn't have many times of complete full peace. It's not really in the, I guess, it's still in the DNA uh, yet, I would say. Um, but during the times when Israel was going through um, many difficult times of terror attacks um, and and different wars, so I was exposed to, uh, um, to, to death, I guess, from a very young age through my father's work, um, and I go into more detail in the book how, for different reasons, I did see sites that are very difficult to see and um, from a very young age, as I mentioned. And I was also raised by my parents, but also grandparents who were Holocaust survivors. So my early childhood memories um, and even later on in life are of sadness, of pain, of grief, of sorrow, of anxiety. Um, and I guess that's really how I am wired uh, to, to, to begin with. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and it really is. I mean, obviously, everything that's going on at the moment, people, it's very much in everyone's mind. But to grow up like that, I mean, your grandmother, you tell the story that she was on a train that she, she later found out that was on the way to Auschwitz. But she managed to squeeze herself through this tiniest, tiniest gap jump off the train, you know, hurt, really hurt herself, went into a farmyard, hid herself there. I mean, that is, it's almost beyond comprehension, isn't it? That kind of trauma and then fear. 
Yes, but here we are speaking today in uh, in 2023 and horrible things still happen. And uh, I actually, am, I was so looking forward to my conversation with you today and almost like thinking of other things and focusing on other um, parts of, of life. But it's very current, this this fear um, and this lack of safety. And my grandmother, Hannah, was her name. Yes, she was on the train uh, alone, uh, of course, with many, many hundreds and thousands of people there in impossible conditions. And like, I guess everyone there on the train, she sensed that they're not going to a hotel or a spa or to take nice showers, as they were told. Everyone felt that something horrible was going to happen. But not everyone had my grandmother's, um, I guess, luck. And also uh, bravery, because she had nothing almost to lose. She was the only one on that train. She was single. I mean, she wasn't there with her family. Um, and she was single as well. She was in her late 20s. Most of the people on that train had their families with them. So they couldn't take the risk of jumping off the train, knowing that that Nazis will sh shoot them and, you know, maybe they'll survive or not. She was shot at. She was injured. Um horribly uh, injured. She hid in a pig's barn for a few weeks and the only thing that was there was water so she also became completely blown. She couldn't move because she was so filled with um, water and the food, non-food that the pigs um, used for themselves. But she survived, Ellie. The bottom line is yeah. that she survived. She lost her mother, father, brother and sister in, in the Holocaust but she survived and she raised, she started a whole new family and I was her first granddaughter. Yeah, yeah. And what you've gone on to do, I mean, it's just incredible. And and I mean, this is very early on. That I'm saying this. I was going to save it for later, but just some, I'm going to just say it now because it's just something for me has been a little bit of a game changer. And it sounds very simple, but it does kind of relate because I know you talk a lot about Viktor Frankl and obviously this because you, you understand it and it's your, your roots. But exactly like you say, you know, that... This is what he said and you live by is the fact that our last freedom is always how we choose to look at something. And I love that. And I mean, it really is. And I think it is something that we can all choose to do. And this is what we we and that's obviously in an extremely uh extreme situation but also we all li often live with this constant anxiety that a lot of us do have which we're going to go on to talk about so um yeah it's just it's just it's it's just incredible it really is so so you you obviously were sort of academic you had three university degrees and how I understand it forgive me if I'm wrong you came to England when you got married and yes. but something I'm missing out in between that is that you were in the Israeli army. Yes, for, for three years I was an officer. Um, and uh, yes, I came, we, we moved to London about 20 years ago. And you mentioned Viktor Frankl. If, if, if our listeners have not had a chance to read Man's Search for Meaning uh, by Viktor Frankl, I highly recommend it. This is not a Jewish book or a book for Jews or a book for anyone specific. This is a book for people that want to, that want to look at life from the perspective of how critical it is um, to search for meaning and to focus on on meaningful work, um, activities and life. Now, I know that so many of us use the word, especially in the corporate world, which I'm part of, uh, purpose, purpose, meaning, right? That's lovely. And I know it's quite, quite current and has been in the last 10 years. But what Viktor Frankl discovered, he was a, he was Sigmund Freud's student. And he was captured during the Holocaust, taken to Auschwitz and other concentration camps. He was a psychiatrist and a neurologist. And even before the Holocaust, he, he was very curious about why are people suffering? Why are we suffering from despair, from anxiety, from clinical anxiety, etc.? And what he, you could say, discovered in Auschwitz, which sounds crazy because like no one should like he wasn't like it wasn't a research platform, but he was there for three years and he was still a neurologist and a psychiatrist. What he discovered that what was he was he was asking the question, why aren't people just running towards the electorate kind of, you know, fences and just finishing life? Why would anyone want to live in these circumstances when people are being murdered every day? Be, treat us as animals. Why Why would you want to live? And when I personally was in my lowest place with my own anxiety, uh, not asking a question of continuing to leave, but really feeling 
horrible anxiety and fear and 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 I you know some kind of despair I remember reading this and learning that those prisoners chose actively to live and had greater motivation today we use the word resiliency to live because they searched for something meaningful within the context of Auschwitz yeah and what is meaningful in Auschwitz to help your fellow prisoner with a piece of bread what is meaningful in Auschwitz to want to survive to write about it to tell the world what happened what is meaningful in Auschwitz is to fight to live one more day for the dream of reconnecting with your loved ones after these are all wonderful meaningful reasons to live yeah and they're very basic yeah yeah they are very basic and it's incredible and I can see how this has formed such a foundation to a lot of your work because then when you've gone on I mean you've worked in in huge companies like Facebook and eBay you know TikTok you know which we'll come on to talk about but it's interesting and I did I have to say I did love your story because it's again it's it's all these basics that apply wherever you are no matter where you are and like the ego so um the story of you that it when you were in the army and you were with the girls and you wanted to go home the weekend and there was a there was a problem in the toilet dare I say and and uh you basically uh well I'll let you tell the story but then (laughs) but then later your ego you admitted it caught up with you didn't it because and it and it's how everyone is nobody's immune to this but we all so it's it's, I'm gonna let you tell the story you'll tell it better than I do no but this ego we all have you know our ego we carry our ego ego can be good as well yeah it's all about you know we're all good inside it's the question is how do we channel and how do we utilize and how do we navigate the different forces and the energies that we have inside of us and we learn about it in Jewish wisdom. We learn about it in in, in, in in different different wisdoms. You know, all wisdoms, they have a lot in common in the sense of like this ego that we have inside. And I share the story that uh, in the book when I was in the army and yes, everyone, we all wanted to go back home on that Friday for the weekend. And, um, you know, there was something massively stuck in the toilet. I can't imagine what it was. I, can't, yeah. I, I don't know if I and, want to. And no one, and listen, <laughs> these toilets were used by dozens and hundreds of women and no one wanted to put you know, her hand, you know, for obvious reasons. And um, it was like a bit of a, like a, uh, like an American movie, like 70s. Everyone's like already dressed in their uniform, ready to go. And the commander uh, of the whole base was coming to do the checkup, you know, the, to see if it's everything's clean. And that was the stress. If, if it's not clean, we're not going home. And then instinctively, I pulled my hand in and I, you know, got rid of whatever it was. And then the, the, this chief commander, she was, she was, I saw her in front of my face and I was saluting her, thank God, with the other hand. And she said, she smiled at me and I didn't know how to read her smile. And she said, um, you're now one of us. And I didn't know what she meant. Later on, I, I learned that she wanted me to become a, a, you know, a commanding and then later an officer myself. I was supposed to be uh, serving in the Air Force with a pilot. Like that was my dream to go and hang out with a handsome, you know, pilots. But anyway, I guess uh, doing the right thing sometimes has you know, consequences of life, um, you know, pivot. But, but the other thing that I share in, in the book is how when I became a, like really in charge with huge amount of responsibility, and it is a huge amount of responsibility to, to lead hundreds of women, initially dozens of them, sometimes with that power and influence, like your ego takes over you and you really think you're that important uh, and that everyone should be listening and following you because you have those ranks on your shoulder. And... Uh, you know, I behaved in certain times in ways that I'm not that proud of. I didn't do anything like extremely wrong, but I, I remembered I had to remind myself that the reason I was chosen to that role was because I pulled the you know out of the toilet, not because I'm going to use these ranks that I have in a forceful way. And it was it was a fantastic experience, uh, you know, very humbling one. And really, I, I learned leadership from very young age of 18 through serving in the army. Mm. And, but then years later, when you were, you went to, was it a gathering or there was somebody that you, that knew, knew of you. And it turned out though, that you had been, that they knew you and they, she knew yeah. me. And, she, <laughs> and I didn't let her go home on the weekend because it wasn't 
so this this well now mother of four then she was one of my you know uh in my in my uh i was i was her leader i was her an officer commander and she wanted to go back home and she said that she wants to visit her um grandmother on that weekend that the grandmother wasn't feeling well and our our instructions were that it's not a good enough reason to release someone to go back home and i said no to her you know following uh and and you know and, and feeling very comfortable doing that and then i think it was probably 25 years later when we had a community gathering here which i couldn't come to uh and then my husband went and this this person 25 years later she asks him for his wife's name and surname and then she goes kind of all shocked and she's like yes i i i know your wife very well and you know those feelings from 25 years ago since then i've had many coffees with her and uh she actually told me that her grandmother was fine she would just wanted to go home <laughs> never mind never mind i didn't share about it in the book i didn't think it was appropriate but the the main story is that um we have to when we get in leadership roles if we lose our empathy if we lose our ability to to look at every person as an individual with an individual story individual needs circumstances upbringing narrative then 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 we lose our ability to really be effective leaders and empathetic leaders and often when we have a lot of power and influence um there's a risk of the, this happening yeah yeah absolutely which would come on to we'll come on to speak but again it's all that it's what is the theme of the whole book isn't it it's it's always going back to the basics whether in dreadful situations or in great situations it's just keeping your feet on the ground and keeping perspective and being kind and a decent person which again we'll come on to so so when you came over to london were you had you been work and you were married were you working after the army were you working in israel Oh yes, I had a wonderful career already established in Israel. I had um I I studied uh two university degrees in Israel after the military service and I started working as an organizational development consultant so working with large and mid-sized companies about their um helping them raise their awareness for the importance of effective leadership and company culture etc. um and i was doing really well uh, really really well career wise and i think personally i was very happy with my then boyfriend now husband um i struggled very much inside i i all my life i struggled with anxiety and fear within myself but within myself but my, the, the external story was very different of success and uh, achievements etc and then when we moved to london about 20 years ago it was one of the hardest experiences i had because it was almost impossible to get a job no one could pronounce my name and thank you for being so kind and asking in advance of the our <laughs> recording how to pronounce my name i used to leave messages saying you know where i'm from no one knew that place and i couldn't understand even the language itself and the accent and at one point i i was i i went to an assessment day in glasgow and literally and 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 Ellie I'm not I'm not like over I I I did not understand what what super people were saying to me mm. um and it, it I was you know sweating and stressed and like wanting to leave and also London wasn't that diverse 20 years ago the way it is it is now so I also dealt with a few very uncomfortable um uh, incidents of anti-semitism not that I'm saying that that's out of you know not part of what society is about today anyway it was really hard and it was also the first year of marriage mm. um but i navigated that yeah you did because you you got a job as a receptionist in a spa so obviously you you loved working and you you didn't let this stop you, you carried on working so tell me um how did you how did this then did you go from there to being this with this enormous job of leadership um for the the tech companies how did that how did you do that yeah. so so <laughs> i don't know i hopefully there's people you know that will get listen to us that were or are immigrants themselves they know the experience of moving from a place that uh you know the language and you know the culture and people can pronounce your name and when you speak people can get a kind of a good enough feel about your upbringing or th- this humbling experience of moving to a country where you lose all of that you lose all of your identity almost mm. 
And the risk is that you lose your identity from within. Yeah. So you start like, you know, giving up on elements of your culture or completely change the food that you like, which again, you can do if that's what you choose. But I moved to this country. I was already 30s. I was very clear about my identity or who I wanted to be. And I was also very determined to make it work. And I remember, Ellie, there was one of my most meaningful experiences, painful experiences, but meaningful. When I moved to the to London, to the UK, and really got, I sent my CV hundreds of times. No one got back to me. I called no one. Like, And I was, of course, I was making spelling mistakes and grammar mistakes, which I still obviously make. And then someone said, you have to meet this person, this guy. He's very successful. He's ex-Israeli. He will give you all the tips, etc. And I met with him and we went to a coffee place and and there's like one very high chair and very low. And I realized that he took the high, the very, so immediately he kind of positioned us. Uh, he was anyway 20 years older than me and more experienced, but he actually chose even physically to take the taller, mm-hmm. you know, higher position. And he told me, listen, I'm, I'm gonna save you time. You, you should say goodbye to your career the mm-hmm. way it was before you moved to this country. The only thing you can be, and listen to this, Ellie, is a, a um, teacher assistant, mm. um, a receptionist, mm. or a mother. Mm. And maybe you can combine those being a mother and two. So first of all, like his perspective of like, you know, the role of a mother and a receptionist yeah. and, uh, at, and university. And I'll never forget, I sat in front of him Ellie, and my blood was boiling like all over me. I went back home and I couldn't stop crying. And I don't mm-hmm. cry that much often. It's, 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 and I cried to my husband. I was like, I lost my life. I lost my career. I lost my life. I have degrees and abilities. I know I'm smart. I know I'm ambitious, but like, that's it. He told me, give up your dreams. Mm-hmm. And my husband said, F yeah. <laughs> and that person's guy. Yeah. F him. Yeah. F him. And it became a yeah. phrase in our household. Every time something was difficult, no one getting back to me from interviews, people made fun of me when I interviewed and I said something very wrong, uh, you know, grammatically or of course not intentionally. Every time something like that happened, we said F, you know, yeah. because we're not going to let that. And it actually gave me more resiliency. I knew he was wrong. Yeah. Well, he was wrong. And, you know, I know lots of, I mean, teaching assistants, receptionists, he can do a brilliant job. It's not, it's not that, but it's, it's the fact that you, you knew what you wanted to do and to have a man sitting above you. And, and the thing is as well, that does, I've had, I've encountered bosses like that, you know, as a, as somebody from England, you know, and it's just, it's just rubbish. And I just, but imagine if you didn't have the husband you have and said, actually, was I saying, that could be a whole different ballgame. And that this is what this is what's amazing with all and from where you came from with this spirit of resilience that you've seen and you also you've got such a big perspective of life with the death with what you saw with your dad but also it's like no I'm not going to be told this so can I just ask why did you move to London in the first place was that that was just a joint choice that you wanted to do it was a joint choice and I wanted to become more cult, more multicultural aware myself. So when you when you, when I was raised in Israel, I was where, raised pretty much with people that has the have a similar religion, whether they practice it or not. So, you know, similar, different backgrounds. To be honest, because Israel is a melting pot of people post Holocaust coming from different places in the world. But I really wanted to step out of my own comfort zone, and I, you know, be careful what you wish for. <laughs> get get out of my comfort zone. And almost like start a new life in a place that is, you know, very different to my upbringing. And going back to that person, you know, that was so trying to demotive me. And, you know, since then, every time someone tells me I moved from a new country, uh, can you help me with a mock interview? Can you have a look at my CV? I say yes. Yeah. Yes. Because because people when people move from one place to another, either, either in their mind or physically or geographically, they need support. They need someone to believe in them more than they believe themselves. And how upsetting it was to hear from a man who's married and a father himself that assumed that, uh, you know, a woman can be either a receptionist, a teacher assistant uh, or a mother uh, and, and, and maybe a combination. I mean, that that's actually my fuel. Yeah. Uh, to, yeah. to go to go against that. Yeah, quite right. Still. F F whoever he is. F, F I'll we're, tell we're, you the name later. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we all think it now. So so how then? I mean, amazing. So how did this? How did you 
go into I, I'm not entirely sure what order you did it forgive me Michal um that yeah. was Facebook eBay and TikTok so how did you how did you get into this into the social media so before, so in the last, I guess, 12 years, probably I've been working in social media or tech companies like eBay and uh, Facebook. And most recently, I was global head of company culture for TikTok. Um, and at the same time, roughly published my my book, which is called What Would You Do If You Weren't Afraid? That is my mantra. Yeah. You know, acknowledging the fact that we are afraid in life. Yeah. Sometimes we're afraid of our own power and success and 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 talent sometimes we're afraid to make a mistake sometimes we are afraid of living you know everyone has their own version and of course you know it changes but but it was this moment ellie when i i can't i don't when i submitted dozens of cvs called everyone i knew and nothing nothing no one came back to me mm. and then there was this recruitment uh consultant and she met me um, and she said, I like you. I really like what you stand for. I told her about all the things that I'm kind of telling you. And I told her, I only want to work in a place that genuinely cares about its employees, that wants to do the right thing in the world and, and is brave and will accept me the way I am. And, and it's just kind of in a very special way. Two companies gave me this most incredible offer at the same time. So some fee so from feeling like, no one's interested in you. No one's going to, you know, welcome you to their company. Suddenly I had two companies almost like competing the offer, um, which was lovely. Okay, I'm not going to lie. It's a nice feeling. We should celebrate these moments as yes, well. Yes, yes. Um, and I decided to go with one of them and and really bl started learning about, um, I'd say, the English culture. And uh, um, I bought the book. I remember someone gifted me the book, uh, um, Watching the English. Um, it's kind of a book that I think me, me, many people used to receive when they moved to this country, maybe 20, 25 years ago, like try to understand the culture, the monarchy. Um, what does Lou mean? Uh, what does, you know, so stuff, <laughs> how, you know, if someone says to you something, what could be the underlining message? You know, it's things that you want to kind of catch up and learn. And, and I was very hard worker always. And yeah, one place led to the other. And then really in the last 12 years, I've been really enjoying um, working in tech and in social media. I am not, a, I don't think I'm, a, I'm definitely not a social media expert. I do have my own social media that I enjoy um, kind of creating and, and sharing my content. But I found that the cultures within these, uh, some of the um, social media companies, the culture is very interesting to, mm -hmm. to, to, to be part of, especially Facebook. I... I loved my seven years at Facebook and I learned so much uh, from that time. Yeah, because because was it prior to Facebook that you worked, before we come on to it, because that, that's brilliant, but uh, where you were with somebody and they told you about your curly hair and they said, yeah. uh, and basically it was telling you uh, and showing too much emotion. And so again, this is all going back to what we're talking about, the basic principles, but basically in the not such encouraging places, you were told not to be yourself. Correct, correct. I had to deal with a lot of, yeah, moments in the workplace in the last 20 years uh, since I moved here, which were challenging on my identity. Chall mm. They're actually managers that challenged my identity. Um, for, for example, and, and, and you mentioned it, there was one workplace, one of the first ones that I worked in the UK. I, I, I did really well. I um brought like great results and outcomes but in my half year review with my manager which was done by the way in a pub in when he pub, was drinking yeah. a pint of beer and, and and smoking a cigarette this was 14 years ago i think he told me that i am very smart and la 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 but people don't appreciate that i use my hands when i speak and that when I'm frustrated, I express that by emotion or by words and that he would expect me to be professional, not moving my hands and containing myself always. Immediately, I felt like those women that Sigmund Freud described, these hysterical women with their hands all over the place. I have a lot of criticism uh, towards Sigmund Freud's work and research in this in this aspect. He made me, f and then he said, maybe it's a cultural thing, but in this country, we don't wave our hands everywhere. It was again, one of the most painful experiences I had in my career. Mm. 
I'm not sure I'm proud of how I dealt with it because I sat on my hands for six months, mm. contained the way I spoke and expressed myself and got a promotion and a pay raise, rise, sorry, pay rise. I thought at that moment in time that that was the best thing to do for me. Yeah. And I don't think in any way, shape or form, I kind of, uh, that means that he kind of won and his opinion was more superior. I wanted to go up the ranks. And, and I know that so many people and women and underrepresented minorities can relate to what I'm seeing. Sometimes there's certain bullets that we choose to, you know, to buy, to, 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 to hold, to not, to not fight back because our plan is to get to the more influential yeah. senior roles that we can really change companies from the inside. Yeah. And, and yes, 10 or 11 years after that incident, I became the global head of company culture of TikTok, advising to the CEO of TikTok on anything that has to do with culture. Yeah. So, um, yeah, 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 boss. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Because when I was listening to that, I was thinking, I bet she, did, did she, I was imagining you can say, right, I walked out that pub and I never went back. But actually, the resilience is, believe it or not, is actually staying. Because if you had have done that, and then, okay, but, but what you, but then what would have happened next? And you'd be angry. And it's again, it's picking the moments, isn't it? But what you did do, you went on, look at what, I mean, F also, let's go back to that. <laughs> Charmer, F we that one. F names. Yeah, yeah. Um, F them. But um, but the fact is, then you, this is probably how you ended up doing the job that you did because you were then encouraging people to be themselves. To, and this is all part of it, to ha have this wholeness, which we're going to come on to talk about. But you have to, to feel that wholeness, which is basically what we all want to feel. You have to be yourself wherever you are. I'm not saying... Over, but basically you have to be fundamentally yourself. So, so, and I love this, that when you went into, so you were in Facebook, I think it was like your first day of work. And was yeah. it there that you saw the motto? But basically, and I love this, I was telling my husband and my sons about this and they were surprised that the big motto in Facebook is basically fail as hard as you can. Correct. Like, that's amazing. Still is. That's still amazing, is. isn't it? And they still fail. Yeah. What I the, 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 listen, I I I haven't been in working at Facebook for I think four years now. So you know these companies they grow fast. There's been a lot of change, and also it's now Meta, and you know the the focus has changed, etc. Uh, focusing on on AI and and AR, etc. But when I was at Facebook, this was 2014. Um, brilliant place to be. They they IPO'd. Uh, went public just maybe a year before I joined, maybe two years. And their their strong mantra, or when you entered the company, but it wasn't just on the walls, because many companies, they have mantras on the walls, but they're not lived within the company itself. In Facebook, it was, it was quite incredible that the, whatever was saying on the walls, people actually lived by those uh, mantras and values. And on a big sign on the wall, it said, what would you do if you weren't afraid? Which I adopted to, for my book. It's, 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 it's something, it's, it's a known uh, uh, kind of phrase. But just next to that, just side by side, that what would you do if you weren't afraid was the other very big motto of the company, which is, as you say, fail harder. Mm. So the message that Facebook leadership and founders, Mark Zuckerberg, Sheryl Sandberg, et cetera, were sharing with employees, with the tens of thousands of employees is we know that we're afraid we're afraid to make mistakes we're afraid to try new things we're afraid to cross our own boundaries we're afraid to um you know get things wrong but what would you do if you weren't afraid of all those things mm. that's an invitation to unleash all the creativity that we have inside of us I, I, I don't think I know how to draw well or paint or anything like that. And every time my daughter my, brings me a you know, piece of paper in color, I'm afraid. I know it's not going to look like it looks in my head. I can't translate. But then I should get over that and, 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 and not let that kind of get all over me and, and allow myself to just pick up a pen, a, you know, pencil and color and just start drawing something. Mm. And the fail harder motto is all about you will fail. Mm. You will fail in life. We disappoint people. Unfortunately, we hurt people. We hurt ourselves. Mm. 
We, uh, we make mistakes. But if we're always worried about making these mistakes, how can we even live life? How, why would we ever get married? Because there's a chance we'll get divorced. Why would we have children? We know there's a chance we'll do something wrong that we know not, in not bad intent. But, you know, why would we go on a trip? Why would we go to university? Why we so this fail harder is actually an invitation to whatever you do in life or in work, Give it everything you've got. Believe, assume it's going to work. Mm -hmm. Work out. And if you failed, at least you failed harder, trying your best. Yeah. And it takes the pressure off because I love my husband. Does that, do I have any assurances, guarantees that we'll live forever after? Of course I want that. Do I have any guarantees when I bring children to the world that I'll be the best mother? Of course not. But if we don't, if we avoid doing these things, and of course there's many other examples, then we're not living, we're not fulfilling what we want to do in this in this world. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah. It's. I mean, funny enough, when I um, I was listening say, to you, and I listened to it when I go running, and I actually stopped and I asked because you also ask another question. Um, where am I now? You know, that's a question we should all almost be asking ourselves on a daily basis. Where am I now? And keeping true to ourselves. But I I stopped and said, what, what would I do if I wasn't afraid? And I said, and I got a mailing list. So, and I wrote this to my mailing list. I said, I'd say no more. I would be me more. And I would allow myself to enjoy myself more. And I think it's it's all the same thing in a sense, isn't it? That you um, are letting go of that control. That and 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 it's interesting because I've been speaking about it with people since then. And like they, some people might say, "Oh, I'm not afraid." And then I think, but do you know what? We're all afraid. We you have. I mean, that's like you say. It's actually part of the fit. Before we go on to uh, on to a little bit more about the book, I mean, there was something, and I love this as well. When you were working at Facebook and they called you in and said, and I mean, this was a totally different to the other characters should we say that we've spoken about before but the um you know maybe you were uh you know you've got a lovely personality and a big personality but they and you were being yourself but they one of the managers did call you in didn't they and then and I love the way that they spoke about this yeah so so is this when I actually failed harder at Facebook when I, yes. I got so when I it was very hard to be accepted to work there when I applied I remember applying on LinkedIn and it was like more than 900 ap apl applications to that role. So, you know, you sit there and you're like, who am I to apply for this role? Uh, there's 900 people that, you know, are also, and, and it kind of it kind of demotivates you, or, or at least it did me. But then I said, you know what, but, you know, if I don't get it, I'm just one of 900 and something people, and it you know, makes you feel less, uh, I don't know, like a failure or whatever. So anyway, I, I went through many, many interviews with Facebook until I got the role, and I came in and there's this pressure uh, in many of these workplaces when you get in um, companies like you know, Facebook and, 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 and TikTok and uh, Netflix, I'm very aware of that, this pressure of delivering, delivering and delivering fast to be seen as the most effective, uh, you know, high performing uh, employee from the very first minute because you're afraid that they're going to get rid of you. It's 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 a it's a very uncomfortable feeling, and of course you're carrying this imposter syndrome inside of me, saying why didn't they take the other 900 people? Like, you know, they made a mistake by choosing me. So all of these things are going on inside of me when I joined Facebook, and then I was given this massive project, and I used to work before that in companies where in assertiveness and in banks that assertiveness was a very important part of a component of being an effective leader and you're expected to be assertive. And, but Facebook is very different. It's a relationship-based company. Your title means nothing. No one actually knows your level or your title. It's all about the relationships that you build and people won't follow you unless you're kind, thoughtful, care about other people and really want to do what's best for the company and not for your own career. So anyway, I got this big project and I was still wired in the way that the company before kind of rewired me. And I was very assertive of how I managed that project and people around me did not appreciate it. And my manager, my legendary beloved manager at Facebook was trying to send me signals. But you know, when you're so in your place, you can't like someone's trying to like raise a, a, a red flag. Hey, like some, you're, you should really think about how you are, but you're focused on delivering. Mm. So I, I missed those signals. 
and I carried on. And again, I did nothing horrible. And this is, I'm speaking to anyone that works in a company. We have to be sensitive to the ways of working of every company or every family has its own DNA. And I was trying to impose a DNA from another place or another version of myself to Facebook, which just didn't accept that. So I was called to my, so the, the, the project was very successful, but I was called to, you know, I, my manager asked me to jump on a call and he said, uh, congratulations for your first failure at Facebook. And, but he meant the congratulations. He genuinely meant it. And, and I was so confused. Wait, congratulations. I knew the project landed well, like the work, but you're telling me I failed. And it took me a minute to realize I failed the company in how I behaved. And actually that is more critical than the project itself. Mm. And I thought that was such a message for life because sometimes we're so ambitious or so determined or we know exactly what how everything needs to be, but we're actually failing. Yeah. <laughs> we're failing yeah. the people around us. Yeah, always, always. And he told, you know, he said to just go home, you know, take the evening, but then come back tomorrow and be better. Yes. And isn't it, doesn't that, show, like, I mean, that must have felt so discomfort, you know, so uncomfortable for you. You feel embarrassed, you feel the shame, all this kind of stuff. But actually, if you can go through that and accept that and think, do you know what, then actually then you become better. And we, and it's coming, you know, I work with a big company, but when you think about it, we're all so much clinging on to make sure that we don't make a mistake and in life in general. Whereas actually, again, take away that fear and actually just have to sit in that discomfort and then actually it frees you. You can go through the other side then, which is the most, it's just, it's just amazing. I mean, and they were such big jobs. I mean, to be head of company culture at TikTok, I mean, that's huge. And just before we go on to about the book, I mean, you say you're not a social media expert, but you like making content. And obviously you're, I mean, lots of people who are listening to this, they obviously, you know, they use social media in, in many different ways. Your feeling of social media, it, this is a big question, I know, but is it, as somebody who works in it, is, you know, to use it correctly, to share c content that you love to, cre to create, is that, would you say that is the way to do it as such? That's how I see it. Yeah. I, I do have tens of thousands of followers across the different platforms that, you know, I do and I engage uh, with, I guess, 100,000 people uh, kind of on a weekly basis through, through these platforms. And it's a, a, my perspective is 100% what you just said. It's not easy. So what, So I'll, I'll, I'll kind of paraphrase how you said it. That's how I say it in my head and how I say it to my teenage children. Everything has good potential in it. I genuinely believe it. Every, everything has a potential of light within it, even the most horrible things in life. Um, and social media, like anything else, these platforms, these apps, these they have a potential to do good and to be good for people. It all depends how we use them. Now, that is tricky because if I'm in, my, in myself, not in the best place, maybe feeling insecure, maybe feeling hurt, maybe feeling demotivated. And I grab my phone and I get myself on Instagram, TikTok, LinkedIn, whatever. There is a chance that I'll navigate towards content that is potentially, possibly not good for me. Yeah. And that interaction with that content won't make me feel any better. It can make me feel worse. Yeah. Um, so the, the, the rule of engagement for me with social media is to ask myself, what do I need today for my well-being, for my uh, healthy, good existence, for my learning, for my development, for my growth? There have been moments in my life, and I'm sure everyone listening here, when I didn't use social media in a helpful way. For example, obsessively following that girl in a high school that I always wanted to be like her. Yeah. And trying to see so what does she look like now in her late 40s and yeah. what does she accomplish in life and by the way how does she look and you know enlarging that photo not good yeah. this is not good use of, of social media yeah however if I or my daughter for example look at social media to learn things that I don't know to educate myself um, to learn new six skills how to you know cook or or, or do or be a better parent then great. Yeah. I think the, the social media companies have a huge responsibilities look to, looking uh, after our trust and our safety and our kids' safety and trust 100%. And at the same time, it's our job as parents uh, 
and individuals and people to learn how to self-manage ourselves when it comes to social media. It's one of my jobs as a parent. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And and but having that clarity, like you say, what it is that you're using it for or why. I mean, and I I mean I use it with um predominantly for my for my books, for my podcast. And it, it's taken me a long time, how to just to get over this, this barrier that I've had that you don't want to in any way be showing off or bragging or selling. But actually, if I've written books that I've spent quite a lot of time researching and putting some wisdoms in that it might help someone or this conversation, I think, will help lots of people. So I'm doing myself a disservice by not putting it out there. But it's I suppose it's always doing it in a way that's true to yourself. 100%. And listen, I can so, I can so relate to what you're saying. When I wrote my very personal book, yeah. uh, self-help book, What Would You Do If You Weren't Afraid?, um, I thought that the work was ending by publishing the book, right? Yeah. Okay, I wrote the book. I <laughs> opened up. I shared my most personal life experiences. I asked permission from my husband and parents and kids. I thought, right, like job done. That's yeah. it. Now let the world, yeah. you know, yeah. purchase Sort it out. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. Even if you have the best product or the best service, the best content, you have to work hard, most of us, to give to, to make the world aware of this great content, book, service, product, and to engage with the world on social media. And I really hope that we're like we're kind of beyond this concern about self-promotion. Yes, I am promoting something I believe in, yeah. which I think that others can benefit from as well. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I've benefited a lot from this. And I'm, I generally, and I'm not just saying that, I'm I'm really not just saying it because it's it has. And so, so this is it. So then you, so basically you were seemingly, as many people would say, you kind of had it all. So you've got your gorgeous husband, your lovely children, you look lovely, you like you were saying you wore great clothes and I think well you I don't know if you were at a wedding or you're at a function or but it's just like you know do you know what yeah on the outside I you've got an amazing job you've got it all but on the inside as you mentioned earlier you had this constant gnawing away anxiety and I can really relate to this as as well to many in many in sort of different ways but in many ways and it's just that that and and actually you had been to therapy you'd been to a lot of therapy and this is not saying and I'm a great believer in therapy I've been to therapy I, and I love it but there gets a point where there's only so far you can go and that feeling of stuckness yeah the only person that can actually release you from that stuckness is is yourself I mean I truly I believe that and when you sort of put that said that out loud I thought I totally agree with this and this is how you came and then you started you you know to looking at with like this awful feeling that you were feeling and you were looking at Jewish wisdoms and ancient wisdoms and actually how they helped you and then this is how that then how it's led you to write this book to exactly what you're saying share because it's been a huge relief for you yeah. So I, I went to therapy for many years, maybe overall 15 years. I also studied psychology myself um, and probably had diff, diff, four different therapists, psychotherapists during throughout those years. And, and like you, I'm very fond of therapy and believe in therapy. It really raised my self-awareness to because I grew up in a home when we didn't talk about feelings. We didn't talk much at all. Actually, it was it was more of a survival mindset in, in, in my kind of the environment that I grew up in, very loving parents, but just feelings were just not part of the, of the deal. Um, and so I learned about all these terms in psychology of, uh, you know, transference and counter-transference, what's mine, what belongs to me, what belongs to you, like all sorts of you know, really great way to, to assess and evaluate things. However, at some point, I felt like the my psychotherapy, my, my therapy was all focused on the past yeah and with a very blaming mindset towards my parents or my immediate carers and it was quite tiring to revisit these childhood experiences again and again i know what happened and i and i uh, confronted my parents and they like can we just live in the actually in the present and in the future yeah. and i felt like psychotherapy kind of stopped doing it for me i know that today there's much more holistic spiritual ways to 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 you know f f to to work on 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 a person's well-being and and help them heal but i i had no access to that um and i looked everywhere ellie for solutions 
Buddhism, Taoism, all the isms. The only place I never really looked for healing or answers is my own heritage, which is Judaism. Mm. I was born, I am Jewish by birth. Uh, it's my race, but but I, I had no access or, to be honest, not much interest to consider Judaism with anything that has to do with with my well-being, with my spirituality. And at the age of 38, 10 years ago, I really discovered, and I'm using this language, discovered that there is a um, universal, spiritual, relevant to all Jewish wisdom, which actually starts from the soul. Mm. And, the, and, and I learned that regardless of the things that happened to me in life, deep, deep inside of me, and again, different faiths, different religions call it different ways, there is a godly soul within me yeah. that the world needs, and I am needed here. And it's possible that I haven't been living through my real essential meaning. It's possible that I've been trying to be different things to please to uh, really, Ellie, when I grew up, the only thing I wanted was to please my grandparents mm. and to make their survivor of the horror, the, the horrible experience that they've been through, to make it worth it. And like, we don't know why we turn out to be who we are. I, I also today challenge a bit therapists saying, well, they're like this because of yeah. their mother never breastfed them, or they're like this because, I mean, come on. Yeah. It's so much more complicated than that. We're also born with a story within us, I believe. You know, I, I, I was taught that a baby is uh, um, born uh, um, tabula rasa, a, a white canvas. I, I don't believe in that. I think that we are born already with something mm. inside of us. So without going into too much detail, if someone wants to read it, they can read about it in the book. I started um, really uh, learning about Jew Jewish wisdom, universal Jewish wisdom, and applying the principles into my day-to-day -day life. And I'm much, <laughs> it's just incredible. much better today. Yeah. Well, you could, you know, I can, and but it, you said, it, I mean, there's so, uh, I mean, there's so many, I mean, it's just brilliant, all different parts and each sort of, you talk about so many different, like, like um, living in Munch. Is it Munch? Have I got that right? Apologies if I haven't. Um, that you're basically, say, living as a decent person. And th this yeah. again is like living in values. But again, you know, and, and, and I love it how that you're applying it as well with your children. And, I, and again, it's actually going back to a little bit what you're saying about the failure and the feedback because there's almost like with you and your children you do have like a, a sense of feedback that if and and again as parents you think well we're we're the ones and, and our parents were I think a bit like this when their parents certainly were you know you don't question the parents and they absolutely have it right but actually you're encouraging that maybe to have it back I know there was something where your daughter I don't know you said something about swapping houses or it was yeah. something you know oh my gosh I, you read the whole book I really have seriously I'm, <laughs> I'm not I'm genuinely not <laughs> I loved it I just loved it but when she said about oh it was just and we all do it don't we oh look we're swap you can go to their house and I'll have her for the week and yeah. and just then her feeling that actually well you can love her but you can't love her any more than you love me and but to, for her to be able to articulate that and feel comfortable to articulate that it's it's sort of encouraging actually it's not a bad thing if your if your child does tell you where they're going wrong I appreciate with teenagers this sometimes is, is a little bit out of con you know but yeah. it we needn't again be so frightened about this I think I think today it's challenging to parent and today it's challenging to be a young person I think every wherever you are in life today it feels like it's harder than it was before yeah and maybe every generation says that but I I am pre pretty confident that it was easier for my mom to parent me than it is for me now to parent our children because just the world is more complex and more complicated. I'm a huge believer in boundaries. I love boundaries. I think when we have boundaries, we are feeling safer mm. within ourselves, within our minds. And I really believe in boundaries between parents and their children. Like there's things that my children will never ever dare say, do, challenge me. They just know they will be crossing a line. But at the same time, as you said, I will never try to present myself in front of my children or anyone else as someone that has all the answers, that always does the right thing and uh, um, is just right, like overall. Um, I think that doesn't allow them to make mistakes, to try new things, etc. And 
I'm very proud of the fact that my children will come to me and say to me, uh, you know, you, you, you just hurt my feelings or you, you did something that I think was wrong and really put this mirror in front of my face in a respectful way, um, as well as tell me when they feel like I'm the, the best mom on earth, right? Mm. Um, I, I, think, I think having, when we do that with our children, we also help them build relationships later on. You you said before, I really liked what you said before, like sit in this feeling of uncomfortable, mm -hmm. right? Like we have to train ourselves to feel comfortable within the not comfortable. Mm. Like that that feeling when sometimes some of, some of us like, you know, our necks, you know, like it's a bit red. Mm -hmm. For me, it's my face when I'm mm -hmm. feeling like even ashamed of myself, embarrassed if I raise my voice in a, or I speak in a way that I know is not representing who I want to be. Mm. That feels so uncomfortable, but I have to own it yeah yeah you do and I I've learned I mean I heard that I heard it for, it was actually a monk who was being interviewed who went off to do a retreat for four years but said how he's to sit in that actual physical even if you can't name it the more you do it then it slowly just melts away and then and it really does it it does and you and then you get another batch and then you have to do it but I do it, it that has helped me I mean I know there is so much if you could say one thing that has helped you or one of the wisdoms or one action, would you say it is boundaries or something else that has given you that sense of freedom from that awful feeling? One of my favorite sayings in spiritual Judaism is, and this goes like hundreds, if not thousands of years back, is, and I'm translating from Hebrew, is that there's nothing more complete than a broken heart. I love that, yeah. I spent most of my life trying to be perfect. Yeah. Perfect grades, perfect at school, perfect daughter, perfect this, perfect. That causes anxiety, of course. Yeah. You know, anxiety. perfectionism is, is, is a type of anxiety, right? Of, of being obsessed with being perfect. And when I learned that actually the only way we can be complete is by being broken, i.e. going through breaking in our lives, disappointment, heartbreak, not getting the job, all of those things that make us feel like we're not good enough or we're a failure, that's the only way to be complete. There's also a saying that you're not complete until you're broken. Mm. And and that's very encouraging. Um, and if you think about it metaphorically, and you know, if, if, if our listeners like would just like not if you're driving, uh, <laughs> but if you're not driving or, or working with heavy, you know, <laughs> machinery, <laughs> if we close our eyes for a moment and imagine our heart, uh, this is metaphorically speaking, of course, like we always try to keep everything intact, right? Our heart intact, perfect, no hurt, no disappointment, no, you know, no, no, no failure. How can we grow? The only when we when we do break from all of those difficult feelings, when we do break, uh, and and again, just imagine this metaphorically speaking, our our heart kind of explodes from the breaking into many many pieces, and it's just in between those shards of the heart, the pieces of the heart, is the space where growth has space to happen, mm. and that growth is actually empathy. Mm -hmm. understanding others it's often we only become more empathetic when we're in pain ourselves yeah it's so true and actually that's I think perhaps why is why the book resonated so much with me because I think we seem to do this it's like you go to therapy and you're chasing something where you feel that moment where you think it's great everything's perfect again perfect but everything's great I feel great I'm free I'm happy everything and actually like you said it, that anxiety sometimes you need to have it in there because it's telling you something so it's that acceptance the whole I knew this was going to be hard I honestly I could go on for hours and I appreciate <laughs> that you've got a house full of lovely children so for your to be continued what would you like to do next for her what what would you like to do after all of this because I mean it's just absolutely amazing um I think it's definitely a, a life mission for me um, the reason I published the book and the reason on the first uh, uh, edition uh, with the second, the paperback edition, that uh, I'm not, my face is not on the cover, but initially it was very important for me to put myself out there because often when people think about ancient wisdoms, they, Im Im yeah, they have this, uh, you know, we all have our biases 
especially around Judaism, you know, imagining someone that's like, it's like, it belongs in the past, it's ancient, it's 3,000 years old, what does it have to do with me? And I'm very uh, much inspired, and it's what I'd like to continue to do in life, take elements from ancient wisdoms, not just the one that we discussed today, and see how actually very much relevant it is for our days and in, in our in our lives today. We often are tempted to look back on something that even happened 10 minutes ago and say, oh, that's not relevant, right? Because we're like, you know, we're, we're, we're here and now. Um, but sometimes I do it with movies. I go on Netflix and I look, oh, that's like from 1980. Oh, no, it's too old. No, people are people. And Sigmund Freud didn't come up with uh, this understanding that people feel despair and anxiety and fear. People have been feeling these feelings from the first day, from right, of, of human existence. So let's be curious about what different cultures, you know, places of the world, in the world, what did they discover about human nature and bring that together to our lives today? I think we have a lot to learn from them. Yeah, we absolutely do. Do you still do your coaching now as well with your with the leaders? You yes, do I do. I do coaching. I consult to companies. I do uh, public speaking. I'm, I'm, I try to never get bored. Oh, I'm <laughs> sure you do. And something as well, which, which, um, I just think is something that we should all bear in mind that you have worked, like you say, with the CEOs of some of these biggest, biggest companies who like, you know, may look uh, a certain way and like they've got it all sorted and they know all the answers. But you say behind closed doors, they all suffer. And this is they all suffer from the guilt, the shame, all of it. But this is what you're saying, isn't it? It's a human. It's human to feel this way, whoever you are, whoever you are. And I am not fooled by any title whichever pedestal person is. I've worked with the most, most senior people in tech and entertainment, and they are just like me and you. Yeah. And if they're not, we should be, we should start worrying about it. Yes. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, I love that, that you don't even know the name of, you know, the titles. That's brilliant. Back at Facebook, it's just, oh, it's just brilliant. So for your acknowledgements, now, we're obviously not going to acknowledge those dreadful F people. No. <laughs> <laughs> They're not invited. But who would you like to thank? Who are the people who have helped you along the way? Um, people like yourself that make space for diversity of like voices and opinions. My legendary boss at Facebook, Jeff, who really allowed me to be myself and spread so much positivity and and curiosity across the company. You know, my husband that supported me when that, you know, F person said that, um, you know, I don't have a chance to continue my career like the way I wanted. My children who allowed me to open up in this book. Every person I meet on the journey that is trying to make this world a better place for all, I'm, I'm grateful to them. Oh, well, we are very grateful to you for, for, for what you're sharing. We really are. So very, very finally, so your your advice at the end here. So if someone's listening to this, Michal, and they are feeling like you were feeling, like that horrible, stuck feeling, but deep down, a, a shame really as well, that they are feeling anxious inside. And they know that their true soul, they're not really, deep down, they are really not doing what that true soul they're not being true to their soul as such yeah. uh, what would you and that could be somebody in any different doesn't necessarily have to be a great big job or they might think do you know what I do want a great big job what, whatever it is where they are they're feeling they're not where they should be and mm. they're not feeling as good as they should won't want to feel what would you say to that person I would say and I say this to myself and my children I often use the metaphor of a bridge and in the back of the book, I say that the whole entire world is a very narrow bridge. And the most important thing is to have no fear, no fear at all. It's very normal to feel afraid. But one of the best things that we can do in life is replace fear with purpose. If you're not sure about something, if you feel like you're, you're, you know, you're, 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 you're afraid you're going to make the wrong mistake, you want to make change, start with one step. One step. I have a, an, an allergic reaction to things that promise you in three weeks, you're going to look like that model. In five weeks, you're going to run that marathon. In 10 days, you're going to do a career check. No, life is a long journey. And we often obsess to get there very, very fast to wherever we want to get. Take one step, potentially out of your comfort zone, 
potentially make you sweat a bit, feel uncomfortable. It doesn't have to be extreme. One step towards doing, believing, or being more of who you know you are. That would be my advice. Michal Oshman, that is amazing advice. Thank you for your time. Thank you uh, for your book. Thank you for your, to your lovely children for being very well behaved <laughs> <laughs> in this. And I hope we speak again. Thank you so much for being such a fabulous guest on the next chapter. It was a huge pleasure. Thank you so much to you and everyone listening to us. So there you are. I mean, what next? Well, the question... I think you probably want to ask yourself now, I did exactly the same, is go on, ask yourself this, what would you really do if you weren't afraid? If you haven't done this already, go on, just say it out loud and then ask yourself, what is it that's stopping you? Even better, write it down. I always find it helps if I write something down and then I can go back and look at it. Now, I love that fail as hard as you can. So even if what you've just written down seems totally daunting, well, if you're going to fail, this is all part of living. Come on. It's all about taking that first tiny step. You can find Michal, her work and all her details in the link in the show notes. And I really recommend her book. It was just, honestly, it was just a game changer for me. You can find me at elliebarkerwrites.com. I'd love it if you'd sign up to my mailing list. I'll send you little notes to make you feel we're really not alone in this next chapter living. And also my secret diary I kept as a television runner, so long as you don't tell anyone. Just keep it between us. Now, this episode is brought to you in partnership with the boxing charity Empire Fighting Chance. They're fighting to transform young people's lives and the work they're doing around the world is changing our cities. I'm so proud they're supporting the work we're doing here. They believe, like Michal, life is all about being the person we're really meant to be. I'll be back next week. But in the meantime, whatever it is you're afraid of, go on, say it out loud. Even better, message me. I won't tell anyone. I think you can do it. And Michal does too. Speak soon.